Hello, thank you for joining me on this conversation with Scott Deal. Scott is one of my really good friends from Austin, Texas. He's just started a business as a personal trainer. If you're interested, I'll link his Instagram in the description. But Scott is really a unique trainer in that he doesn't just help people get superficial results. He helps people feel like they're cared for and that they're valued. And it's not, you know, gimmicks or anything that's fake. Scott is just a genuinely nice guy. So I hope you get to see that through the conversation. And thank you again for joining and hope you enjoy. Scott Deal, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Dude, I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, too. I'm in the Queenies. It's a bar here in Durham. They have a little podcast room. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, it's pretty How's good. Durham been so far? It's been good, man. Uh, it's been kind of hard to break in just because it seems like the city is pretty centered around Duke. So if you kind of want to get into the social scene, it's like... It's hard to it's hard to get in. It seems like from the time that I've been here, if you're not going to Duke, so I just got to be intentional about right. it. But yeah, especially as like a young dude, I'm sure. Yeah, especially yeah, because I haven't been haven't found that job either yet. So I'm trying to just work through. That'll probably help once I get a job. But yeah, in the meantime, I just play soccer at the some indoor places and play soccer on the weekends. But it's kind of like the big way of doing it. But so yeah. Why don't you kind of just tell me why did you get into training in the first place? Um, I picked training specifically because I knew a decent amount about it. Uh, my background career-wise um, is as a videographer and basketball player, which obviously you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I did videography in the summers, then I'd go play basketball in Europe, and then – the second time that I was in uh, Europe playing ball, I wanted to make some more money because the league I was in was not a high-level league at all. And so basically anything you get is just kind of scraps or peanuts pretty much. So what I was looking into was like I was trying to continue working for the marketing firm that I did do work for, um, just do it online completely. But the problem was they just didn't have a ton of work inflow from – I was essentially the entire videography department. And so when I switched to just an editing role or just a motion design role, um, the work kind of ceased to stop, especially because I wasn't there going on video shoots and things like that. Um, So I was like, okay, I really wanted just to do that just because it was accessible. Um, Since I already had a lot of experience and I had kind of a bit of a name built up in it in in a small little network of contacts and I looked into various different online businesses. That was really my goal is to have something flexible. Um, I didn't want to do videography anymore. I was kind of like, well, this is fun, but I would love to create something that could end up being more passive mm. and more flexible and more under my control. And so I was like, well, I know a decent amount about training. I'm noticing that online training and program selling sites are growing and can be viable options of income. And it sounded like fun. I was like, that'd be cool because if I spend like a couple years building this, I'm still tangentially related to basketball. If I take some time off from actively playing, so it would be a lot easier to get back in as opposed to just switching full time to like a career shift that would be very different um, and less active and just less sports related in general. Um, And I was, as I was looking into that online model, I saw like ATG, I did some of their 
training early on and kind of like the earlier stages of their development. And I was finding like, I was like, okay, this is actually pretty valuable. Like it's not just, you know, you're not just paying to have some Peloton screen tell you to like lift two pound dumbbells up and down 150 times or something and like have a live instructor. Like that wasn't the kind of thing I was looking for. I liked the way ATG did where they're like, okay, you sign up for a site, you have access to these different programs. You can go at your own pace. What's ATG? Excuse me. We'll kind of coach you in it. Uh, that's athletic truth group. It's a knees over toes guys blown up on Instagram and, um, him and Keegan Smith and some other people, uh, started it a couple of years ago. Really the primary founder is Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy. Um, and so what they do on their app is they just sell those programs that he's created for primarily folks around knee health and athletic development, as well as some like rehab type stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I used their stuff and I was like, okay, this is viable. And I wanted to kind of spend time creating my own uh, online training business. The The in-person training is interesting to me. Like I enjoy coaching people and I enjoy like that kind of leadership mentorship role. But in terms of the business side of it, my long-term goal is to have essentially like the Ford of, or Netflix of training platforms, mm. like something online that has programs for every level, every person. Um, it's accessible. It's uh, available. It's simple. It's easy to use. It's widespread, and there's a lot of volume going through it. So it's a little more of like honestly, it's building like a a program site and a hosting site and a subscription platform than just the training side. Now the training side obviously factors in because I have to know how to train people. Yeah. And I got into that just because I liked it, and I had a lot of experience training under people and training myself. And then I was like, well, I, I know I could do this for other people. So that's a, that's kind of a long story on how I got into it, but that was really my thought process. Yeah. So you go, I know the story. So you go over to Croatia. Why don't you kind of walk people through what that looks like? Cause that's, I mean, that's a big thing to go play <laughs> basketball in Europe, yeah. but what kind of walk them through what that looked like. So I have to back it up a little bit. Like, you know, in high school I wanted to play college and I wanted to play overseas my senior year of high school, I kind of get it, got started getting into like, holy crap, like what does it look like to play in Europe? That sounds really interesting to me. Um, I love traveling. I love other cultures. I love learning languages. And I love basketball. And I was like, this would be sick. And um, I went to school for one year. I had an interesting experience. I'll say that much. It wasn't my favorite thing in the world. I decided to drop out. I was like, what if I just left and instead of just paying to play basketball I got paid to do it and like went overseas like what if I just tried to do it right now like why can't I essentially and you know obviously that's like I played JV level basketball at an NAIA division two school like it's it's not the lowest level you can get of college basketball but it's pretty darn close um so I didn't have like any kind of pedigree or any decision like any any leverage I had nothing to my name other than like, yeah, well, I kind of know what I'm doing and I think I have potential. And um, yeah, and it was like, that was a scary decision. I was literally just praying about my grandma's house one time and I was like, yeah, I think I want to drop out of college. And I was like, should I? Then I was like, yeah, that scares me. Okay, I'm going to do it. And then I did it. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. So I finished out the year, did that. Then I came back to Austin, Texas, where I'm, I'm originally from Chicago, but lived in Austin for pretty much most of my life. And uh, came back to Austin, 
started training with a guy named Phil Gephardt. He was huge for me. He was like a huge mentor in terms of just, I mean, a really awesome guy and really actually cared about me intentionally. Um, was really became invested in who I was as a person and as a player. And he started strength training me. But he also had played basketball overseas and was really connected in the overseas community. Like he knows people all over the world. And when I came back that uh, that summer in 2019, right after my freshman year, my one year of college, he had five, it was five Lithuanian guys, no, four Lithuanian guys and one French guy. And they were all professional players at different levels. Like one of the guys, Agardas Chikowskis, he played in Russia and was on the Lithuanian national team for a couple of years. Wow. And he still, he is now actually, again, he's playing on him on that team this year. Then Dovis Wichkowskis, he played for Lithuania's national team, played in Romania's first league in uh, first league in Lithuania. Donatas played in the first league in Croatia, actually where I ended up um, ended up as a player in Croatia, that country. Like, Carolus oh, oh, played for a EuroLeague team. Like, these were really high-level players, and they were the best players I'd ever gotten to be around. And I was like, okay, this is sick. And it was also kind of terrifying because I was like, what if they're just like a-holes? And this is a horribly demoralizing experience. So I trained with them, had an awesome time. Like Dovis was a point guard, took me under his wing. It was really cool. Trained with them for a while. Uh, got a lot stronger. I gained like 10 pounds in like two months of like almost all muscle because Phil really knows what he's doing. Um, did that. Had an amazing experience on the basketball side. They started like connecting me. Phil started connecting me. He connected me with an agent, connected me with some friends overseas, Um I got in contact with a team in Lithuania at some point through Donatus. Um, was talking to them for a little while, and it was like it was like okay, that's sick. And then COVID hit, and kind of like a lot of stuff shut down, obviously, and it was really confusing for a minute. And then I basically through that summer in 2020, I was like, okay, I kind of wanted to be on a team by now. What the heck should I do? And I remember because I was reading, I was praying about it and I was reading my Bible and I was reading Hebrews 11 and it's my favorite passage in the entire Bible. And I was reading about Abraham and how I think the, the wording is like, and even Abraham by faith, he chose to go out from a home, a place into a place where he knew no one and uh, leave a sovereign, sovereign land looking for looking to the place that God had called him. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I was like, what if I just like went to Europe and <laughs> just looked around for teams? And uh, I'd kind of been like thinking about that idea because it sounded really cool because it was an adventure and I, when I had no idea what I was doing. So then I was like, yeah, screw it. Why not? And so and I took all the money that COVID? I had saved up. This was during COVID. Yeah, wow. this was 2020, like like six months in-ish. Six months probably. into COVID. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, it was no, it was like four months into COVID. It was like in August wow. when I made that decision. Wow. No, in July, I made the decision in July and I left in August. So on August twenty fourth, I was like, I had been practicing like hearing from God pretty much that whole summer and trying to like, okay, how can I really tune in to what's true and listen to that all the time instead of the confusion? Because obviously, like various circumstances in life can confuse everything. Like if you think you should do something or you want to do something, or you think you are something, you'll probably get 10 other responses in a matter of days saying, yeah, like you're an idiot for even thinking that 
what a stupid decision, what a what a stupid view of who you are. So I've been practicing. I was like, okay, that kind of sucks to live that way. So I want to try to hear from God and see if I can hone in on that voice. And as I was leaving for, I went to the airport and um, in uh, I was bought a plane ticket to Croatia just because they were allowing Americans in. My game plan was to go to Croatia and then try to get into other countries where I knew more people. I didn't know anybody in Croatia. I obviously, like I knew some people in Lithuania and France and uh, Poland. And so I was going to go up there into those countries. But I was leaving the airport. I, I got in, sorry, I was leaving Austin, flew to Chicago, then to fly over to Turkey, then to Croatia. It's a long thing. And I was in the airport in Chicago and I was like, I was just praying and I was like, okay, God, what do you want to tell me right now? And I just started writing down like what was coming to my brain. And the things were like, you know, it was like a, like a promise essentially. It was like, Hey, I really enjoy doing this with you. I love you. This is super fun. Um, I have a basketball home for you in Europe. I have a place for you to, to shine, to be a star. Keep going. Like, I love you. This is awesome. And I was like, okay, I'm either like a psychopath or this is cool. Or like, I can just either believe this or not, whatever. That's awesome. And I was like jacked up and it was sick. Then I got into Croatia and I was like, holy crap, like everybody here looks different than me, talks different. I have no clue what's like, I have no clue what to do. And as soon as I landed, they started shutting down borders, mm. like within 24 hours, like all the borders to like even Serbia or other EU countries and stuff like Slovenia and Slovakia, like everything was just shutting down. And I was like, okay, so I'm in this country and I don't know anybody. And I knew like one guy who I had met through Phil and I just met him over the phone and he hosted me at his house for like a week. And I was literally just sitting there like 24 hours a day, no idea what to do, no game plan, like just like questioning everything in my life. Like, what, like what is, what is happening? And then I was like, okay, enough of that. Let's figure, I got to start doing so. Like I could, I had the note and I was like, I can either believe that this is real or just do nothing about it and go home. Like, that's fine. I, can, I have two choices basically. And so <clears throat> I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to believe that it's real and just see what happens. And I was like, what, what do I, what do I really want to do? Like, what sounds interesting to me? And I was like, I'm going to go to the coast. That sounds like a really, I'd love to explore the Croatian coast and I'll see, I'm sure there's basketball teams there. So I bought a ticket on a train to just a city called Rijeka and I took the train out and I was like, all right, well, let's see what happens here. I land and I get off the train in Rijeka, spent like two hours trying to find my apartment building because like I had no connection to service, didn't know where it was. It's a big city. Um, I, did, I had no clue what was going on. I had like 50 pounds of stuff with me because I was expecting to get on a team. So I had like all the stuff I owned. I get into this building. I find my, find my apartment and I'm like, okay, what should I do? I'm like, I should, I want to go look for a gym to shoot around it. That sounds fun. So I went and looked for a gym to shoot around. And as I was getting closer, I started like being like having like a, I was walking towards the gym and I started having like a, like a nauseous feeling in my gut where I was like, geez, I, this is like, what if there's people here? This is freaking me out. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like what, what am I doing? Then I get to the gym and as soon as I'm getting there, there's these two guys leaving and I'm like, Hey, can I come shoot around? And they're like, who the heck are you? And I'm like, I'm just some American guy. And they're like, well, you can't shoot because it's a private gym. But um, <clears throat> there is uh, a senior league men's team that plays here. And if you want to, you can come watch practice tonight. And I was like, okay, sick. That works out. I have a lead now. Like I had no leads and now I have a connection. 
So I, I was like, okay, cool. I went and watched practice and I was like kind of freaking out. I was like, okay, now what do I do? I'm like, I've never been in a professional team's practice before where in a different country where I don't know anybody. I can't speak like two words of their language. So I'm like sitting there. I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I was like, just an overwhelming feeling of just like sit and just hang out. So I sat on the trainer's table and then people started coming up to me and being like, who the heck are you? I was like, well, I'm looking to play basketball here and I'm an American. And then I remember one guy, his name was Boyan. He was like, so are you good? I was like, well, I guess you guys get to find out. He's like, no, are you good? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good. He's like, okay, cool. Well, our coach comes in in five minutes. You should talk to him. And I'll like put in a word for you. And so I was like, sick. That works out well. So their coach comes in. I go talk to him. And uh, I'm like, hey, man, so this is who I am. This is what I'm doing here. And he was fascinated by me because he's like, why is there just some random American in my gym right now? And so they gave me a tryout with their team. And I got to work out with them for like uh, a week or something. And in that week, I also moved around like five different times because they didn't tell me how long before they were going to like tell me if I was going to stick in Rieka or they were going to cut me. And so I had no clue how long to like book Airbnbs for. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of annoying. But I, I sat there and I, I worked out with them and I hadn't played in like two and a half weeks and I was sucking. And like these guys have been playing together for years. Like some of them were like really good Croatian basketball players. Some of them were young guys coming up. Like I had no clue what was going on. I couldn't spell basketball at that moment. So I was like breaking shots and just playing terrible. And then <laughs> like a weekend, I was, they cut me and I was like, well, that really sucks. And I remember like, so they cut me and it was really like awkward because the coach didn't speak a ton of English because he was older. Yeah. And so he's having to translate through another guy. And it was just a weird experience. And I'm just like kind of sitting there like, I didn't need the translation. Like I knew what he was saying, Yeah. but it was just one of those where you're like, okay, this is nice, awkward, fun, <laughs> sweet. And he like gave me a little piece of paper with this other team called uh, KK Kraljevica. And he was like, well, you could go check out them. I know they need players. So we, they often like, the team I was on first was called Kvarnayr. And Kvarnayr and Kraljevica, like, communicate back and forth and trade players all the time. So he was sending me over that way. But I had no Croatian phone number, so I couldn't contact them. So I remember uh, just, like, after that, our practice gets done, like, 1030. And I just, like, wandered around the city for a little bit because I was like, geez. I was like, I had my little note. And I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do about this? This is kind of is crazy. Um, but And I just got cut from the team. Do I really believe this? No, do I believe that actually I'm supposed to be here or that I, should, or I even want to be here? And I remember sitting down at a dock and just feeling sorry for myself and depressed. And like, I didn't want to even go try in Kraljevica because it, it hurt too much to kind of just over and over again, feel like I'm just getting beat down and beat down. And then, you know, I called my mom, talked about it a little bit with her. Um, decided I was like, you know what? Screw it. I have like five days left in this country before I got to go back for my cousin's wedding. I'm going to go to Kraljevica see what happens. So I went there. I'm as, you know, I find it's a tiny village. There's like 300 to a thousand people there. It's really small. And, uh, I find my Airbnb and I'm like sitting in a coffee shop thinking about, I'm like, what I kind of don't want to look for the gym tonight. I'm still kind of recovering from how I'm feeling from the other day. And I'm like, I just get the same gut feeling where I'm like, you need to go look for the gym right now. And I was like, Oh, I don't really want to do that. That sounds hard. And like, what if they're there? And I 
I go and look for the gym. I find it, and it happens to be the exact same time that they're starting practice. So that worked out well because I had no way of contacting them. And <laughs> so I get there. I, I get in the gym. I go up to the coach, Igor, and the other coach, also Igor. And I was like, hey, man, I was like, this is who I am. I just want to come work out for you guys for two days. Tell me what you think. And then call it, like, just tell me what you think after that, and we'll decide if I'm a good fit for the team. And they were like, sure. And then I worked out for two days. I was dominating, and they uh, they gave me a spot. And I was like, sick. That works out well. And then that was a whole other thing. That was a whole other part of the adventure after that. But I just remember afterwards, I was like, okay, this is uh, this is pretty, pretty legit. Yeah. This is pretty dope. I remember having my note, and I've had that note thing ever since. Um, but yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the whole story of how I got in there. Yeah. There's other stuff in there, but. Okay. So yeah, that's that an idea. Journey. I'm sure people, if people were to listen to that and they, they're not a Christian, they, the idea of like talking to God and all these different things probably yeah. sounds so foreign. Like how would you, what would that experience how could you possibly try to explain to that to someone who had no similar concept? Well, yeah, that's actually really interesting that you asked because that's essentially now like part of what I do in my training for people. Um, and, you know, the people that come to me are all sorts of backgrounds, like they're Christian, Buddhist, uh, agnostic, atheist, whatever. Like they just they, – it's anything. Um, and so – that has been an interesting experience because in order to talk to someone, there's no formula for it. Like there's no formula for hearing God. There's no formula for trying to connect someone with, with what's true and with who they really are. Um, and so anytime I've tried to apply a formula to it, it's failed miserably. But the way that I have connected is it's like, it first comes down to your perception of who you are and what's really true about who you are. Um, most people have an incredibly low view of their value and of themselves in general. Like I rarely meet people who come to me either for training or just are talking to me. And I'm like, so like, like, who are you? What do you think about yourself? What do you think? Like, are you worthy of love? Like asking them that even like, that's kind of a, a Christian idea, but everybody thinks about that kind of stuff. Like, do you have value? And most of the time people are like, well, you know, sometimes, but I kind of suck most of the time. And connecting them to the reality that, no, they actually do have a real identity and a value. Connecting them with that requires an amount of faith, no matter what. Like circumstances are really good at making us believe that we have no value, you know, that, we, we're, that we're crazy. You know, even like someone like Steve Jobs, like he pioneered so much in the way of computers. Like they had one of the first computers where the keyboard was not attached to the actual framework of the desktop itself and the screen. And every time he was making decisions and things like that, people were questioning him, questioning like so much challenge, 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 challenge. Anytime you actually pursue the next level of your identity, you're going to get challenged. And people always know that. And they always relate to that. Like no matter who I've talked to and no matter what level of, belief in God or belief in anything they are, that is the common response. They're like, Oh yeah, no, I relate to that. Like I have this one friend at my, he goes to my church now. Um, but he, uh, 
he was talking about how like he always wanted to be uh, he's he's very smart. He's a really smart guy. Just really has a knack for school, has a knack for like languages and linguistic pickups and just learns really well, but he feels very dumb. And we were talking about this kind of thing. And then he came back to me with a story of like when he was coming back from a trip and he was in, uh, he was in uh, the car and he was asking to borrow his sister's Kindle or something. And she was like, she was like, yeah, sure. Borrow my Kindle. And he's sitting there and he's like, Oh, I'm going to read Les Mis. And he said it out loud. And her response was like, you're going to read Les Mis like you, but you're stupid essentially is what he took from that. He was like, she's like, just like you. And he was like, oh, I'm stupid. And we had been working together to try to get him into like a university. And he literally, because that his sister, all she said was, you're going to read Les Mis. He started second guessing whether he was good enough or smart enough or valuable enough or deserved to try to even try to go to university. This is like, I mean, he kind of believes in the whole God thing, but he's a very low level of faith. Like he's not trying to hear from God. He's just trying to not hear from all the, all the evil voices around him first. So it's like, it's addressing the fear and the actual beliefs that the honest beliefs that we have about ourselves. Like when I look in the mirror and I look at myself and I'm like, wow, I'm ugly and I'm fat and I hate myself or wow, I'm, I'm not pretty enough or I'm not smart enough for all these, all these kinds of things that we get into. Um, that's the level that people always, always relate to. Hmm. What was that? Okay. So yeah. What is that idea? I kind of want to hear more about what you think. So you said circumstances. You said the circumstances usually make us feel worse about ourselves. Is that what you said? Yeah, they can. They can. I should have clarified. Like no, they can either yeah, explain. We can use them more. to validate. I want to hear it more. So, like, let me put it a basketball example. Like in with athletes, like in basketball, you go up and you shoot a three pointer, and you could be the best shooter in the world, but you can make or miss that three pointer. It's like, okay, let's say I shoot the three-pointer and I miss it or I airball it. I could think to myself, that's like that's evidence that I could use to validate that I'm a bad shooter. Or I make it and that's evidence that I could use to validate that I'm a good shooter. So that's a circumstance change. That's like I just shoot it, make it, or miss it. But the reality is, okay, how many of those circumstances do we have to compile? Like they're going to keep – yo-yoing out like a good three-point shooter shoots under 50 percent so they're going to keep yo-yoing out and if it's all if all my identity as a basketball player or identity as a person is tied to the results that i see in my life i'm going to be in a constant state of like hit or miss and that's a sucky place to be because life is confusing and and changing all the time like i mean even in my own life i mean my dad died and it's like well you wouldn't expect that to happen or the economy collapses and you're like, geez, like I'm out of college and it's hard for me to find a job. Or um, like like I had a, like a cancer scare a couple of weeks ago and it's just like, wow, I might have cancer right now. Or I have a bunch of dental bills racking up. It's like all these things can start to hit on a level of like, okay, you're not provided for. Or I shoot and I miss a bunch of shots. Okay, I have a bad game. You are not a good player. And I need to prove myself to get back into that identity. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it does. I just wonder I wonder how much of a place that should have in someone's life cuz like you like you say there's and I'm sure you're going to agree that it does have a place but it seems like in the same way that it can make you feel like you're a bad player it can also drive you to be better in a way I mean not even necessarily with basketball but just with 
like if, if your sister says to you like you you're gonna read that it can all, i wonder what that how to reorient it instead of feeling like oh i'm stupid it's like almost portraying it as a challenge i don't know if that's something that also you could say that's something we should reorient it to instead of saying you know you know i i suck or, yeah i'm an idiot no i i think i think there's validity to that and i think I think the validity is only in the sense that um, it's topical. Like it can be used as like, you can be like, well, I missed some shots and I want to make more. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to go practice my jump shot. But if every time you miss shots, it's starting to get to the point, like let's say you have a shooting slump and it gets to the point where you're like, geez, it's hitting me at a core level. Like I'm struggling here. It actually limits your ability to push past boundaries. Because what if you worked worked really hard? Like here's another example in lifting. There's guys that like taking tren and steroids and SARMs and all these different kinds of gear is really common nowadays. And it's common for guys our age really young. Like you don't need to be taking steroids when you've only trained for eight years if you want to be a professional bodybuilder. You just don't know how to train that well yet. So if you if you get to a certain point and you're like, geez, I need to do this to prove that I can be who I want to be. You're limiting your own creative ability. Same thing. Let's go back to the shooting example. Let's like, okay, yeah, this guy's like, all right, I'm going to shoot. I missed a shot. I missed five shots in a row. I missed, you know, I have five bad games in a row. And he's like, maybe I should just, maybe this is who I am. Maybe I should just stick to a bench roll. Maybe I should stop taking as many shots. Maybe I should stop pushing myself to be who I can be. So in that sense, yeah, like the challenge is valid. Like, sure. Life will challenge you regardless, and you can't control your environment to take away challenges. But if your challenges start to get to the point where it's attacking who you are, that's that's an indicator that you are struggling and you're believing a real false identity about yourself. Um, You can take your true identity and who you really are and be anchored in that and then do things and do whatever. It's like being informs doing kind of thing. It's like I, you know, (laughs) um, a good verse about that is we love because he first loved us. Like we can't love people unless we're loved. Like if I believe I'm chronically unloved, my love is going to transform into just sort of taking from other people. But if I'm loved, I can go love anybody. I can even love my enemies. So it's that kind of concept where you have to have the base first. Otherwise your growth is going to hit a ceiling that it doesn't need to hit, or it's just going to be unsustainable. I wonder how would you, because I could see that kind of thing spiraling into someone who, <laughs> what if their identity is wrong? Like, what if they are truly a bad basketball player? How would you, we'll just stay with the basketball player example. It's like, how would you know yeah. when to stop? Because if you're like, oh, I'm a good basketball player and you shoot 10% from behind the arc and it's like, I'm yeah. good, well, I'm good. I'm going to keep training. Where would you, I don't know. It just seems like. Well, that's, that's where identity has to. Identity has to be separate from vocation and from what you do. Mm-hmm. Like if, yeah, again, it's not about your identity has nothing to do with basketball. Like basketball can't be an identity because basketball didn't exist thousands of years ago, but people did. People have been existing and having identities for as long as we've existed, but the circumstances in which that happens change. So basketball, like, yeah, if your identity is a good basketball player, that's a flimsy identity. Like what happens when you blow your knee out? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, good luck. Like you, like what happens if you lose your legs? 
you can't be a basketball player anymore. What happens if you lose your arms? Like you can't even compete in the Paralympics at that point. So it's just like identity is deeper than that. And if you look at most people's identity, it generally um, involves other people just as much as it involves yourself. So like a good basketball player is not an identity, but someone who like, let's say my identity is, has something to do with loving other people or something to do with being a servant or something to do with being um, um, a leader. If you are loved and you know how to love other people, then you can actually have, and bring value to your basketball team or whatever vocation you're in, regardless of your uh, play. Because let's say, okay, let's say you have a slump and you're shooting 10% for a whole year and you're in the NBA. They're going to be like, dude, you can't, we're not going to pay you as much anymore. You're not going to play like that anymore, but you can still be happy and be loving to your teammates. And you can still find joy in who you actually are and who expressing who you actually are. Like too many players try to be like, again, sports is a great example because you can see players try to be guys that they're not. Like if you're seven feet tall and you could dunk it every single time, but you just want to shoot three pointers. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You don't need to be that guy. Like, Play to your strength. That's a good coach takes guys and has them play to their strengths. He's like, look, who you are is enough. Let's do what you can do because I want you to be happy and enjoy and being valuable to this team. So that's a fascinating thing to me. I mean, as a coach, like I coach some basketball for Veritas, and that's what I'm having to deal with right now because every single no, – not a single kid on that team really has a confidence in who they are enough to lead other kids. So – that's part of my job is to help them figure out who they are to a deep enough level where they can impact their team regardless of how they're playing. Because like you're gonna have six days, you can't be there all the time. It's not your job to 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 do everything all the time. You have to be secure enough to let go and anchored enough in who you are to let go and impact. It's an interesting paradox, but it functionally works out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So okay, let's go back to that spiritual example. So say. Again, we'll take it from the perspective of someone who isn't a Christian. Say they they try out Christianity or they try out some sort of religion. And just like with the basketball example, you know, they lose their legs or they don't see their, their God show up in a way that right. like that same sort of identity crisis that someone maybe who plays basketball and they lose their legs or someone who, you know, kind of risks it all, risks it all to, you know, believe in God or like be vulnerable and be humble and all these different things and just kind of expose themselves to that. And then say that God, that God doesn't show up. How, yeah. How yeah. would you, cause that same idea, like you say there has to be an identity. What identity would they fall back on? If the thing that they're trying to find the identity in isn't showing up. Well, that's partially like, that's partially why Jesus is so powerful and so important. Like if you look at, um, there's that, you know, that verse where he talks to Peter and he's like, wow, Peter, you are the rock on which I, like not, that's not when he says you are the rock. He says, um, he asks the disciples who he is. And yeah. Peter says to him, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And he's like, wow, Peter, you couldn't know that unless the Lord told you, like the Holy Spirit yeah. spoke that to you. You would have no way of knowing that. Like three verses later, Jesus is talking about going and dying on the cross. And Peter's like, no way, Lord, we're not going to let you go to Jerusalem. That's not cool. Like that's not who you are. And he's like, bro, get behind me, Satan. What the heck are you talking about? Like your mind is on things of the world and not of God. 
And that's like exactly what he needed to say, because Jesus knows what it actually means to be king of the Jews. He knows who he is. And so he knows what he has to do. He's like, I have to go die for you because I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to separate. I'm going to get rid of the separation between man and God. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to everybody all the time. I'm going to make make it so that there's no longer a place where we need to worship, as he says to like the Samaritan woman. And so Peter's sitting there like I, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't fully appreciate what it really means to be king of the Jews. He thinks in his mind, a king has to go in and conquer everybody and take over the Romans and restore the glory of the Jewish people. And even if you look at it, like in, through the rest of Peter's life, he struggles with accepting Gentiles as human beings, essentially. He really can't get past. It's, it's a hard thing for him to get past his Jewishness. And Jesus knows who he is. He's like, no, I'm supposed to go die for you guys and I'm going to go do it. And he does it. And obviously it was the right decision. Um, it's another example is David. When David is, uh, he has multiple opportunities to kill Saul. Like David never does anything wrong to Saul that we see. Um, Saul hates his guts. But Saul was anointed by God to be king. So was David. So there's two technical people in at the same time living who are anointed by God to be king of Israel. Okay, give a and little then context Saul, too. Give a little context to the people who Yeah, okay. So, so people who don't know that story. So David uh, was an Israelite, a young guy. Saul was the king of the Israelites. Um, uh, Prophet Samuel anointed Saul to be king of the Israelites. Saul started doing a bunch of stupid crap. And God was like, Samuel, you need to go anoint another king. And when Saul's, I think, like 30-ish years old or something, David's about 13, Saul, I mean, uh, Samuel goes to David's family, finds David, and anoints him to be king. So David basically from a very young age knows that he's going to be king of Israel, um, and well, Saul is still king. David goes, defeats a giant Goliath, um, and kind of lives out who he is and is really uh, amazing and successful. And Saul recognizes this and is like, geez, I want you in my house. You're doing great. Like, come serve me as a direct servant to the king. Saul becomes jealous of David, tries to kill him several different times, and David eventually flees to the foothills of of Israel and um, spends a good amount of time running away from Saul. During that time when he's running away from Saul, Saul is pursuing him to kill him. And David is, uh, there's a couple instances. One, David is in a cave. And Saul goes up to him. Saul, Saul comes in the cave to relieve himself, to use the bathroom, and he doesn't know David's in there. David sneaks up to, to where Saul has left his clothes, and he cuts off a corner of his robe and takes it from him. All the while, his men are like saying, David's men are telling him, hey, look, the Lord's delivered Saul into your hand. Go kill him. Go kill him. This is a perfect opportunity. This is what he wants you to do. Go kill him. David doesn't want to do that because he says, how could I raise my hand against the Lord's anointed? So he goes and he cuts the... Uh, he cuts the robe off of, uh, of Saul and as they have this whole interaction where he's like, dude, what the heck are you doing? I, I could have killed you right now, but I didn't. What have I ever done to you? My whole point with referencing that is because David is so secure in his belief in who God is and who he himself, David, is. He's like, I know God anointed Saul for a reason. It makes sense. It makes sense for me to go kill him right now because I could do it. I could take over Israel. I could take power right now. But I believe that I don't think that's what God wants me to do because I know he anointed Saul for a reason. I also know I'm anointed king. Talking as David here. David knows he's anointed king, but he knows Saul was anointed too. And he's like, I'm not going to put my hand up against that Lord's anointed right there. It's kind of similar when Jesus is like, well, 
yeah, kings go and take over countries and free their people and everything. But the way that he wants to be king of the Jews and he knows that he's supposed to be king of Jews is to die for everybody. And um, that's my whole point is because like in those circumstances, it doesn't necessarily look like the outcome is great. Like David's men, Saul goes and pursues them again. Nothing changes for David. Nothing changes for David for like three more years. He doesn't become king of Israel for three more years. You know, Jesus dies and it looks all dead. Like it looks like death is won. It looks like the enemy is won. It looks like not, there's no hope left. But then he comes back and rises again. It's like, okay, you have to actually have an anchored hope in who you are and the fact that you don't need to know everything all the time. <laughs> like you just got to have essentially that's the faith component. When your circumstances look bad. It's like, okay, when I'm sitting in Croatia and I have my little note and I'm like, geez, I just got cut from a team. I can either believe that I'm supposed to be something more than just some guy who just gets cut from teams or I can sit here and take this and go home. So that's kind of my thought process in those things. Yeah. What would you say to someone who who would say, you know, I don't need I don't need a God to anchor me like I can like I can figure it out on my own. What would you say to that? <laughs> I'd say, yeah, you can get pretty far. Um, like, again, there's guys who make millions of dollars. There's guys who have great lives. There's guys who change the world um, that don't have God to anchor them. Um, but you're going to limit yourself and you're going to find a ceiling. And when life gets hard, you're going to have a lot less anchor in what's in goodness. Like, God is goodness. Anytime anything good happens, it's because of God. It's not like you can really separate him from those things. And you can believe that or not. But anytime anything good happens, anytime someone is loved well, anytime um, a positive change occurs, it's because of God. He is in everything. You know, it's like Moses even said at um, at uh, to the Israelites in, I think, Deuteronomy or something. He's talking about, he's like, look, don't say that the word is far from you. Don't say it's across the sea. The word is always with you. You have the word of God. You know how to use it. Then he talks about, he's like, look, the law of God is goodness. He's like, you can either follow that and pursue goodness and find good and joy and peace and happiness, or you can do the other thing and create conflict, death and strife and unhappiness. It's like anytime conflict, death and strife and happens, it's someone not entering the, the, the goodness and the law of God. Anytime something good happens, it's someone entering the goodness of God. It's that kind of simple. Um, but yeah, I would just say it's a limiting factor because where are you going to get encouragement from when everybody hates you? <laughs> what would you say? To that idea, so you say, you know, God's in all the good things. To the flip side, what are you saying? You know, what about the what about the bad things that come? What about the evil evil parts of life that are terrible? Where well, where is God? Yeah, again, it goes into like it goes into like what is really so evil and what is really so good. What is redeemable and what's not redeemable? Like Jesus getting slaughtered for nothing, that's an evil thing, but he also conquered death. Like Saul pursuing David, like imagine David's mindset. He has loved this guy as a father. It talks about him like he is, this is his father-in-law, his literal father-in-law. Saul is David's father-in-law. He's, uh, he's, David has served him well. He's loved him as a father. And this guy is just abusing him and wanting to kill him and chasing him down to try to kill him, to put him to death for no reason. It's like if your dad, if someone who you loved just turned on you and hated you, and you're like, well, I've just been good. What have I, what have I done? It's like, wh where's the goodness in that? 
So, I mean, David, what he does is he, he grows deeper in his identity and he raises up a band of 400-ish men. Then he becomes king of Israel. It's like, was it really taking it? Like, was David less loved because Saul didn't love him well? Or was David still loved by God? So my only thought about that is you actually do have to be patient and look at the big picture and look at what's happening and look at who you are and look at why, why what's happening is happening. Um, yeah. And again, that changes like that changes person to person. There's no formula for it. Mm-hmm. You just have to figure it out as you go. Yeah. So, cause things suck. Yeah, no, they do. Sometimes they can be, and that's what I just wonder, like for people who, who maybe listen and cause like this conversation we're having is so like, it comes to my mind. And it's like, I've had it, I've had it, I've heard it. I know, I know what you're saying. But it's like for people who this it's like a completely foreign idea. Like the words we're using mm-hmm. are foreign, the ideas are foreign, identity maybe even as a like all these different things are foreign. And so I, I just wonder how how do they how do they think about what we're saying? Like how do people think about what we're saying? You know what I'm saying? Well again, like that's why there's no formula for it. Because I've had like again, like I go to some churches and I hear what they're saying and I'm like, I hate this culture. Like I have no clue what they're talking about. Mm. And it's not really because of what they're saying. It's because of me. It's because I'm not connecting with it, but you have to, you have to meet every single person as who they are. You have to actually care and love about each person. Like you can't, if you're just talking to Christians, Christian isn't even identity. It's like, it's a people group. It doesn't mean anything. It's like, if you could just talk to white people, like what does white people even mean? So I've had conversations with people where we're talking about the gospel the entire time and Jesus or God or the Bible is never mentioned once. It's the same thing. It's like where, okay, well, identity matters. It's like, who are you really? And then they're talking to me about how things, it goes back to that beginning thing, like how the things in their lives have impacted the way that and what they believe about themselves and what they believe about the world. It's like, well, this is just the way life is. Like, life just sucks. Like, people that look like me, brown people, just get screwed. Like, the, the white man always wins. Like, that kind of thing. Like, okay, now how do I enter into this thing? Like, how do I actually connect with this person? How do I appreciate what's going on here? Well, I know what it's like to suffer. They know what it's like to suffer. We're both people. We can figure out how to connect. And there's like, circ- again, it comes back to that truth that circumstances don't really inform identity. It informs experience, sure. Like, I don't have the same experience as some starving African child, but he has an identity and I have an identity, and me being living in true, my true identity and him living in my, their true identity, that's both possible. It's just, it just looks drastically different based on where you're at. So, yeah, I get it. There's just, there is truly no formula for it, and that's, that is the... Uh, that's the fun part and the creative part about it. Cause I've had a lot of those moments where I'm like, geez, how the heck do I connect to this person? Like I have a really good friend who's a Buddhist and we talk about Jesus all the time and God and love and what it really means to, to experience truth and goodness. And we're on the same page. <laughs> it's just very fascinating. Um, that's what I wonder. I'm curious to see what, how do you think your dad your dad's passing kind of shaped your development as a person, especially because what it was senior year of high school, right? 
Yeah, I was 17. It was like right before. Yeah. Um, it would have been like a couple of weeks. So, what? I mean, that's a pretty, you know, you come into senior year, you're really starting to kind of form into who, you know, Scott Deal is. How does kind of the loss of your dad kind of play into that development? Um, I think, honestly, like the biggest thing that I noticed about it was it made me kind of like realize just like life goes, like life happens. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, like I'm not immune to things that can rock my world, essentially. It's like, okay. Like I had identity forming moments. Like I can think back to when I was like four and five years old and I have distinct memories of when people, like when I first felt something that was probably constituted shame. And when I first, and I, when I felt it again, where it was like, like a, a, a changing perception of who I view I was. Like I have memories from preschool of those things. And it's very strange to me that I have those things. Um, but yeah, the, the way that that specific event impacted me was really just like, oh, my world as I perceive it can change. Like I, yeah. like what, what, do I, what, what is anything, does anything really stay true? I'm like, oh, people die. Okay. Yeah. It's like, wow. Like I couldn't get identity from my world anymore. Um, and it was, it's basketball was a very similar experience to me too. Cause it's like, I show up on teams, I start doing really well and then I tank and I'm like, wow, I cannot get my identity from my performance. Mm. Like I can't, it sucks cause I don't always perform well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was probably the, the, uh, the biggest paradigm shift in reality for me. It is crazy. Because, you know, everyone's – I always hear people say they're like, people don't think it can happen to them. And I still think that. Like, I don't want to think that way, but it's crazy how until something <laughs> happens to change that, it's like I – th- I mean, I it seems like it's built into people to seem like they're immune from danger and loss and suffering. And, you know, some people it comes probably so often the way they feel like they're a magnet for it, but – until it happens, it yeah, seems like yeah. it's just wired into us to be like, yeah, I know that. I'm not going to get cancer. It's just going to be that guy down the street. Like, it's not yeah. going It's just crazy. Like, it's, it is fascinating. It's just crazy that we get, like, assuming that things are the way they are. We're like, oh, yeah, like, this is just the way it is. And, like, even, honestly, like, graduating college is that way for people or graduating high school. Like, when you have to, you're like, oh, like, I have to make a lot of decisions now. You're like, holy crap. What do I do? <laughs> Yeah. Like I have to take, I have to do stuff like my parent. I'm not being taken care of. I'm not being whatever, like, or kids who, whose parents get divorced. Um, I had a conversation with someone like a couple of weeks ago and he's telling me how he got his girl pregnant and they were going to go get an abortion. And I was like, wow. I was like, geez, that's crazy. And he was saying the same thing. He's like, I didn't ever think this would happen to me. It's like, I didn't think that, um, He's like, it was just, just one of those surreal moments where you're like, I had no idea. This is what, this is actually a possibility. Like he's like, they had thought about it as a couple. They're like, yeah. what do we do if this happens? And it was just like, oh, now they know. That's a, it's kind of crazy. It's a crazy compare. I was watching, uh, there's been a lot. I mean, I don't know if you've seen all this stir up with like Jeffrey Dahmer and stuff, but I was watching this interview with him and, uh, he was talking so matter of factly about these crazy, crazy things like cannibalism and 
all these different things. And he's like, yeah, I never thought it would come this like it would. He never thought it would get that far. And then it like yeah. it's crazy. People yeah. just don't think that all these different things can happen to them, and then it's it happens. And it's like, what yeah. do I do now? Like you said with that guy. Well, even like, him. yeah, it's like, dude, even like if you were to go back to, to the, the biblical example of David. Yeah. So Saul comes and pursues him the second time. And now David has been like in his identity for so long at this point. He's like doing so well. Like he's taken this band of ragged homeless people essentially. And they're like some of the greatest warriors in the entire country. Yeah. Everybody's like scared of them. It's crazy. There's like only 500 of them and they're just dominant, which is sick. But it literally gets the point. So Saul has that second interaction with him where he pursues him and David has to jump on him again and has an opportunity to kill him. And it's like, bro, why are you chasing me again? You said you wouldn't. And Saul goes, I'm sorry, I'll never chase you again. Leaves. Then the next verse after that is it goes, David knew in his heart that Saul would pursue him and overtake him. And he literally, David and his men go and join the Philistines and say, okay, we're going to work for as contract mercenaries for you. So that way Saul can't attack us. Cause that way, if I'm with the Philistines, Saul's not going to mess with me. We're going to work as contract mercenaries for you. And we're going to raid Israeli villages. What David actually does with all his men is they end up going and just pillaging little tribes and slaughtering and murdering every single man, woman, and child in these places. So that way no one can tell about what's happening. So like they go and basically go from like, insane studs to being terrorists who murder rape and pillage places mm. like it's like that that fast it's just unreal to me because it's like wow and then this that is dude, really how and then david's later called like a man after god's own heart it's just well and that's the other thing because literally while he's doing that the philistines go to war with saul kill saul David comes back. David's like on doing his own thing. His, his own, his own uh, city gets taken over. He has to go reclaim all his stuff. His men are about to kill him. They're literally get to the point where it's so bad. All their wives and stuff have been taken. They're about to stone David to death. And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord and went after and pursued and overtook the Amalekites who took all their stuff. They get everything back completely unharmed. This, yeah, like David has gone and killed and slaughtered and done horrible things. Completely unharmed, gets all his stuff back. Meanwhile, Saul is at war with the Philistines and gets killed, and David assumes leadership of the entire country of Israel. Like, that's just ridiculous because it's like, okay, you can go from here down to here, back to here. It's like the redemption is so fast. Like, again, Peter denies Jesus three times and then goes and builds. It's like, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Again, uh, Saul turning into Paul later in, in Acts, like slaughters and kills Jews, basically for kills Christians, basically for a living, and then becomes one of the the greatest apostles of all time. It's like this is what actually identity happens to people. It's like, geez, I can go from here to sucking to here to sucking to like. It's not about it's not you, who you are never changes. What you do can change. You just have to try to stay in this line because this is really the best way to live. It's like it's that simple. Yeah. But it is – I mean it is so hard, dude, because like you said with that guy and his sister, like whenever you – I mean this is kind of a poor analogy, but I was watching this documentary today on like soccer referees and it's like whenever you win, everyone loves them. And it's like whenever you lose, people are mm-hmm. like, you're terrible at your job. And it just seems like in life, too, yeah. whenever you – you know, you do something good, everyone's kind of on your side, you're riding high and then – 
you know, you do something stupid and then people get on you and it's like, yeah, I mean, you really do have to have something beyond people's words because although it's yeah. so nice because if you get your identity people, from it you're screwed yeah but it, yeah that's the thing but it's so tempting to to be excited by and to seek what people that approval dude it is so tempting to do to just live that way it is so hard to overcome that no 100 percent. i mean even like again like the verse i can do all things through christ who strengthens me it's like before that paul's talking about he's like look I can be rich or I can be poor. I can do all things because Christ has given me identity because Christ in through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, I know who I am so I can be in any of these places and I can be me and be okay. Like even with, like with business, it's so hard for me to do that too. I'm like, geez, like I make a dumb business decision every day and then I make a bunch of good decisions every day too. So like, like I did a webinar a couple weeks ago or something. I boosted on Instagram. I spent mon- money building on an ad for it. I like wrote a whole PowerPoint and everything. I don't think a single person showed up and it's just like, Oh, well, okay, cool. Like, do I, I need, if I get my identity from how many people show up to my freaking webinar, I am boned. Like I'm screwed because how will I, why would I ever try anything ever again? Yeah. Like I'm promoting these body weight boot camps. Yeah. I'm going to be doing some body weight boot camps and I'm going to do them. And spend the money and try them, whether or not people show up. Yeah. And it's that's the only way I'm going to be able to figure out what it actually means to live as who I am yeah. in my business. Because it, it, the nice thing about identity is it frees you; it allows you to mess up. Because like I no longer, like I I, I no longer get my identity from the results. Mm-hmm. Like I can take the shot, and I can miss it. And you know, obviously, at some point. You got to find out, okay, it's like, well, am I going to pass on opportunities? Because like, what if my business goes under? Like, do I lose my identity? Yeah. Not even one bit. You know, it's like, okay, cool. So it is, it's that key. Like I was talking to someone last night about this. I was talking to two people, like the coach I'm coaching with, he's uh, really going through it with the group of guys that he's coaching. He's like, like they legit, like some of them have told him to his face that they hate him. And I'm like, dude, I know this guy. He's he's good. Um, you know who I'm talking about. It's Coach Graham. But he was uh, he literally told me. I was asking him. It was like me, the other coach, Rhea, and him. And uh, I was asking. I was like, so like, they're just people. Like we got, we know we can figure this out. Yeah. This isn't indicative of who we are as coaches. Like we got to figure this out. And he said to me, he's like, I got paid a lot of money to conduct spy operations for the U S government in foreign countries. And that was easier to deal with than this. Wow. And he, like, this thing is challenging his identity to an extent. Mm. And like the players, their identity is being challenged. They've told me the same thing. They're like, yeah, I feel unappreciated. I feel not good enough. I feel this. I feel that because of my play, because of the, because of whether or not coach puts me in or not. Um, I, I had another, con- another conversation right after that with someone and she was telling me, she was like, yeah, I had a, I had a horrible experience today. Um, I was having a conversation with someone and they just made me feel really stupid and were yelling at me and screaming at me. And it's like, why do I even try to stay in relationship with them? Mm. And they're like, their whole desire to love people is being attacked. This is a family member. Yeah. This is this girl's dad. And she's like, I don't even want to stay in relationship with this person because of the circumstances, because I don't like, I can't 
I'm not loved here. And how can I be loved enough to love this person? How can I love my father who's become my enemy? Like you have to, you have to be loved. Like we love because he first loved us. Love God, love others. Like if we, if we're loved, then we can love other people. If we're not loved, we're going to go into these circumstances and we're going to die. It's pretty much that simple. All right, man. I think it's been good. Scott, I think it's been a good <laughs> conversation. We, hit, we talked a lot about basketball, man. That was a, for anyone who wanted to learn about basketball, there you go. You got to learn about Dude, how to have true. a better identity too. That's just a side part of it. But yeah, it was good. Thank <laughs> you for coming on and talking with me. I thought it was a good time. Dude, yeah. Thanks for having me. Right. This was a lot of fun. I'll see you again around the bend. Thank you.